Thank you for tuning into the Monocle Dynasty Podcast, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. Your hosts, Crescent and John, dive deep on players, rankings, strategies, and much more. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Monocle Dynasty. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the Monocle, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. On today's episode, we're going to be doing a listener mailbag. We just wrapped up our four-part divisional series last week. So if you didn't hear any of those, or if you missed one or two, go back and, and check those out. We went through every single team and basically said who you should be buying and selling. A lot of good players there that you can go with, but some of our listeners had some questions for us, and, and we have some uh, written questions and, and voice questions for you. So we'll, we'll put those in there. Uh, but I'm going to bring on Crescent. How are you doing, Crescent? Um, I'm doing well. Um... I still have like a month left of summer for school starts, but it feels like I haven't left school. I've just been working on stuff, trying to prep for whatever the hell is going to come in the next month. Um, but we, we actually have a very special day today. Today is John's birthday. So we're <laughs> recording is. on John's birthday. Uh, so we're, we're, maybe we should, we should sing. <laughs> i mean you could <laughs> i won't be doing any singing with my voice you can still yeah. hear it. it's, it's kind of scratchy but <laughs> no i don't i don't want to torture our our listeners ears um <laughs> but when you guys listen to this it'll it won't be out till monday but make sure to give john john a shout out a happy birthday shout out thank uh, you thank you all right well uh as you can hear my voice is still a, a little uh scratchy been a little under the weather uh, but I'm, I'm feeling good enough to, to go ahead and, and uh, do this pod and uh, answer these questions. So we'll uh, go ahead and start out with the first question, and it's from uh, Corey Rosniak. And it is, uh, he's at BR underscore Rosniak. I guess I said his name wrong the first time. <laughs> uh, but have we come back to reality where the split backfields are not just going to be handed to rookies across the entire NFL? And then that actually kind of goes with our second question, which is very similar. And that's going to be from uh, Gymnastic at Gold Jacket Quarterbacks. And his is actually a voice question. So we'll go ahead and play that now. Hey, guys, Gymnastic here. So my question for you is, out of the big three rookie running backs, Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Obertelaire, and J.K. Dobbins, which running back do you think is going to have the immediate impact or biggest immediate impact for fantasy teams? And which one do you think is going to have the longest sustained fantasy impact for fantasy teams going forward? Thanks. Love listening to the show guys. All right, Crescent. So what are you thinking? So just to, to kind of jump on the first question that talks about like, are these backfields going to be handed directly to these rookies? So I, I went back and I looked at the last, 10 years so from 2010 to this draft um i looked at running backs drafted in the first and second round because those are the running backs we're, we're really talking about here right the first five running backs which are clyde clyde edwards hilaire cam Akers, jonathan taylor um deandre swift and jk dobbins right those are the guys everyone cares about so i looked at rb selected in the first round um over the last 10 years or so, and they averaged about 203 rush attempts a rookie year. So I'm looking just rookie year stuff, just how do they come out out of the gate? So if an RB is drafted in the first round, 
odds are they are going to be getting a decent amount of touches, um, even if it's just rushing attempts. And so to give you an example, like the low end for first round running backs was Rashad Penny at 85 carries and the high end was Zeke Elliott at 322. Now, Rashad Penny did have some special circumstances. Um, he did injure himself in the preseason. I think he had a broken finger. Um, he also injured himself at the end of the season. Um, I think it was like a knee sprain or something like that. So that is going to affect his attempt total. Um, it also affected his chance to, to get onto the field in general from the start. So the, the low end when it comes to carries for RBs in the first round was Penny, um, Christian McCaffrey, and Mark Ingram. All of them walked into backfields with established players or established veterans or pe- guys who had shown or done really good. Um, like Chris Carson, who actually had a really good season until he was injured and out for the year. Um, Jonathan Stewart, who we all know, right, as a former first round talent himself and, you know, had a lot of productive years for the Panthers. And then Pierre Thomas. Now, even though they were in those split backfields, they still were getting decent amount of work, particularly CMC and Ingram were. And so I think that kind of relates a little bit to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire here because I think he's going to see more of a CMC type of start. Like maybe he's not going to get a ton of rushes um, like CMC didn't, but he'll still get a decent amount of pass work. And I think that's that's what you can kind of expect from CHC um, because of the, you know in the first round, a lot of the guys that were drafted in the first, like Fournette, Zeke, Gurley, Barkley, Jacobs, even Melvin Gordon, they didn't really have competition. So there w- there's not really, you know, CEH, I guess for some people, they could say Damian Williams is in competition. I don't know. What do you think, John? Do you think Damian Williams is competition for CEH? I don't think he was competition for Kenyon Drake. I don't think he was competition for <laughs> any other player that he's really been on. I think he he's in a great situation. Uh, and also, I know you, you probably didn't even realize it, but you basically created a new player because you said uh, CHC. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, CHC, I'm combining that. I mean, the ceiling for Clyde Edwards-Solaire, right? CHC. Um, exactly. So, you know, like the only guy that really kind of, you know, went into a, another split backfield was Sony Michelle, who, even though people were disappointed in him, he still had 200 carries his rookie year. So I think it just shows like, no matter what you think about Clyde Edwards-Solaire, he's going to get touches. It's just, it's what rookie running backs do. Unless there's an injury or some type of special circumstance, he's still going to get a decent amount of work. Is it going to be RB1 work? That's a whole different story. Um, But back to what the question was saying was, are these backfields going to be handed to these rookies? And I think in at least CEHs, it's, it's definitely going to be handed to him in a decent amount. Like I think he, he will outtouch Damian Williams. I don't think that's crazy to even, to even believe at this point. So then I moved on to the second round running backs because that's where the other four were drafted. All second round running backs. In the last 10 years, we've had 13 running backs selected in the second round. They averaged 133 carries with a high of 244, a low of 23. At 23, shout out to at FB, um, FB all day um, because it was Rojo who had 23 carries his rookie year. And when we remove the bottom three guys who were all hurt during their, their rookie years, which was Dalvin Cook, Darius Geis, and even Rojo actually missed four games um, that rookie year. He was hurt as well. Um, when you remove them, the average carries go up to 160, which is a decent amount, um, decent amount of carries. And so these are the, of the 13 guys, these are the guys that led their teams in rushing that rookie year. It was Chubb, 
who passed up Hyde, right? Remember Hyde got traded that year. Um, so there was an established veteran there, but he wasn't really worth anything. TJ Yeldon, who came into a backfield that didn't really have much. Mixon came into a backfield that didn't have much. Le'Veon Bell, same thing. Sanders, Howard got hurt in the middle of the year, so that helped him. And then Abdullah also came into a back. Um, Amir Abdullah, shout out to a guy that no one talks about anymore because he disappeared from relevance. Um, the guys who didn't lead their teams in rushing attempts were Rojo, once again, injury. Um, Gio Bernard, who I don't think anyone can expect to be a three-down guy that gets carries, right? Like, I think everyone knows he's, he's a scat back type of guy. He's a good third down back, um, you know, someone that I think is good as a football player, but not necessarily as like a fantasy guy that you can rely on as a, at least as an RB1 or RB2. Dalvin Cook got hurt. And then you had Carrion, um, who couldn't pass up blunt. You had Henry, who was behind, um, let's see, he was behind Murray. He's behind DeMarco Murray, who I think led the league in rushing that year. You had Hyde behind Hall of Famer Frank Gore. And then you had Darius Geis, who got hurt and was also behind Hall of Famer Adrian Peterson. So, like, when we look at these guys, um, these second-round guys, the guys that didn't lead their teams in carries, it was either injury or they were behind someone really good, right, is kind of what it seems like, outside of Gio Bernard, who I don't think anyone would expect to, to lead, their, lead his team in rushing attempts unless there was injuries. And so that makes me really feel comfortable with JT, um, Jonathan Taylor, because – I think there's no way he doesn't lead that team in carries. And I think that like, it's going to be his backfield as far as the rushing attempts. Obviously we know he can catch passes, but we also know they have Naheem Himes. who they love to use as a pass catcher. So I think that might limit a little bit of his ceiling. And then acres and Swift, their competition isn't really much to overcome right in Henderson. And then also in carry on who, while they are both young running backs, they haven't really done anything. And so Akers and Swift, if they really are these alphas, like I think you can expect them to lead their teams in rushing. And then Dobbins' situation reminds me a little bit of like Miles Sanders or even um, even what we saw with Chubb, where you have the more talented guy, this rookie that's really good coming into a backfield that has an established veteran. But I think at some point we see Dobbins overtake it just like, you know, Miles Sanders did because of injury. Um, Chubb did because of a trade. So I think you honestly believe all five of these rookie running backs will lead their teams in rushing attempts. Dobbins is the only one that's really questionable in that situation. Yeah, I think that's the longest I've ever let Crescent talk, but it's just because my you know voice isn't doing the greatest. <laughs> but, uh, but he brought up a lot of great points. Um, first one that just pops into my head is, why the hell was Giovanni Bernard drafted at 205? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Was that just – I mean – was that just a horrible draft class? I don't know, but uh, I'm gonna look they, that up while while you while you talk a little bit. Let me see. Okay, I mean they they clearly, if they had intentions of using him, like paying two hundred five prices, it was either like injury concerns or something. But they just completely threw that out the window. Um, although they did give him a decent contract the other you know last year. Um, now to kind of go off of uh, Creston kind of went with like the short term aspect of it. And so to cover the long-term aspect, uh, I kind of went a different way. I, um, so as, like, as far as the sustained impact, like gymnastic was questioning, uh, like let's look at those first three running backs. Um, CEH was taken at 32 overall, Jonathan Taylor at 41 and Dobbins at 55. 
for Jonathan Taylor, players drafted around the 41st pick averaged 181.3 points with a median of 203.5. And for J.K. Dobbins, players drafted around the 55th pick averaged 171.5 points with a median of 141. So we can see that, you know, at least as far as the, the average players drafted around those, those, those spots without even looking at the actual profiles themselves, we can see that they all have value. Um, and, you know, even some of the players drafted a little bit later than where CEH was, was picked might even show you a little bit more value, you know, where, where, Dobbin, or where uh, JT was drafted at 41st. So using the same tool, we can look at the average points per game over the first three seasons. And players drafted around 32nd and 41st averaged 11.5 per game. And players drafted around 55 averaged 10.1 per game. So now obviously that's over a three-year period. So that doesn't mean that they start out like that. But that's still showing you that they have some pretty good uh, viability, you know, when they're being drafted around that, that range. You know, that's not amazing numbers but that's just the average obviously there were some players in there um i believe being drafted around uh dobbins was uh players like ray rice and Lashawn mccoy and you know they were obviously much higher they were up in like the 17 range uh but then you also had other players that were down at the you know four range and, and five range as far as points per game and so that's going to be a lot lower uh, but still, the, the average is pretty nice, and it shows you, at the very least, you have like a decent floor when you're being drafted around there. As far as those particular players, those three players, I feel like Taylor has one of the best overall profiles I've ever seen, um, and he'll be behind one of the best offensive lines in the league. CEH is on one of the best offenses in the league and excels in the receiving department, which is you know where you're going to want him in PPR leagues. And you know while Dobbins doesn't have any combine data, or a pro day to go off of because of 2020 and everything going along with it. Um, his spark score coming into college tells us that he may very well be the most athletic running back of the three. And his situation really suits like his skill set very well. So the truth of the matter is I really think all three will likely make a big impact this season. Although I agree with Crescent's comparisons, uh, Sanders comparison for, for JK Dobbins. Long term, I think I have to go with Dobbins uh, as he has, he has a nice mix of the rushing receiving ability paired with an offense that wants to run all the time. And, you know, he also has a 31 year old running back who's coming off a calf injury in front of him, basically. So, you know, while the 2020 might not be as amazing as some of the other players, I think that the 2021 and beyond is going to be pretty nice. Um, and then as far as as far as JT goes, you know, I see a lot of things changing for the Colts as soon as next season. We have Phillip Rivers and T.Y. Hilton, both unrestricted free agents. Uh, and then, you know, the fact that he really wasn't used in the receiving game kind of scares me for Taylor's ultimate ceiling. Um, so, you know, I could see at least his first few years being kind of iffy as far as like that full on like running back one, like the running back one type ceiling. And then as far as uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire goes, like he's really the toughest one for me to pinpoint. I normally, if I looked at his profile, I wouldn't even really think of drafting him, at least not early, not like in the you know first like five or six picks or anything. But just being drafted to, <laughs> to the, the Chiefs, knowing Andy Reid and, and like what he's done for running backs in his offense, 
And then like even throwing in some of the narratives, like, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes saying he wanted him to draft or wanted the team to draft him and everything just really makes me think he has the highest ceiling, but he's also the scariest one for me. And sorry, that was kind of long-winded too, but I guess there was a lot to that, that answer. <laughs> it's a lot like breaking down these, these draft class because there's a lot of really good running backs that we have to kind of run through. And so, you know, like when I'm running through first and second round and you're, you're trying to give your, your analysis to, we're going to go a little long on these things. I went back and looked, Gio Bernard was the first running back taken in 2013. That's crazy, man. I mean, um, they, they've never used him like that. You know, they, I don't even know if they ever intended on using him like that. Now, to be fair, he actually is probably, I don't know, you can make an argument he was top three back in that class because the only guy, like when you look behind him, there's Le'Veon Bell, there's Monty Ball, Eddie Lacy, Christine Michael, and then you go down to the third round, you have Niles Davis, you have Jonathan Franklin, who? Marcus Lattimore. <laughs> but Denard that kind of brings us that kind of brings us to, you know, what we always say and you know, with, with rookie drafts, you know, for us for fantasy players is like don't draft for need, you know, draft best player available. And they should have done the same exact thing because I'm sure there were some players going around him that weren't running backs that would have much more helped the team than uh, or helped the team a lot more than uh, and then, you know, whatever he's done for them, even though he has served a purpose, but I don't know if it's, he's done enough to, to warrant that price that they spent on him. Yeah. I mean, you could have got Theo Riddick in the sixth or Latavius Murray in the sixth. Like, I think those guys probably, I don't know, you can make an argument that they have been more productive than Gio Bernard in their careers, but in Chris Thompson potentially. But outside of that, like, this is a really just, I know 2013 was just a poor draft class in general, right? Like, that was the class where I think it was, Eric Fisher that went number one overall. Um, so it was just, it was a rough class in general. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to question number three, and that is from Rom. Rom is at, at Rom Klim, R-A-M-K-L-I-M. And his question is, who are players to target if you're punting 2020, but trying to win in 2021? So basically the way I see it is, you know, like you, maybe you started a rebuild last year or possibly even the year prior and you feel like you're close, but you're not quite there to contend. So you're just going to say, screw it. I'm going to sell off any like major veterans I have uh, that aren't going to produce for me in the future. And I'm going to, you know, try and buy some players that are going to you know, start to produce or your, their value is going to skyrocket in 2021. So just going through, I just did an RB, a wide receiver, and a tight end. Um, for me, I think an obvious one in RB is A.J. Dillon. Like, I think he's one of the cheaper options for, for running backs, at least if you're trying to get someone for the future. Um, we know that both Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams will be free agents after this year. Clear opening for him in the backfield. They want to be San Francisco North. They want to run the ball. They want to pound the ball. A.J. Dillon's going to be the guy there. You, if you're not trying to win this year, he's, you know, he's going to be the guy in 21. So you can grab him for that. At wide receiver, I went Christian Kirk, um, mainly because I do think Kirk's a good wide receiver. I think that he's, you know, obviously his best skill set fits into the slot. Larry Fitzgerald is not going anywhere from the slot this year, but I really cannot see Larry Fitzgerald playing another year. I know I feel like everyone said this for the last three years, 
<laughs> like he's like yeah don't make don't make that mistake <laughs> he's gonna play forever <laughs> he's he's frank gore he, for wide yeah. receivers yeah he's the frank gore wide receiver he's it's like jerry rice man jerry rice what played till he was in his early 40s um so that means larry could still have some years left in him but like kirk's best his abilities and what he does best fits into the slot and this offense runs through the slot a lot so i think that he'll have an okay the year this year but if he gets that chance if Fitz finally retires, um, I think in 21, you could see a huge jump from him. And then at tight end, I've talked a lot about Irv Smith in the past. I really love him. I believe in, you know, his talent. Rudolph um, will be gone either right this year or by the end, like during the year or at the end of the year. And he's going to be like one of the main pass catching threats on that offense. So those, those are three guys. I think that if you're not trying to win this year and you're okay, taking some L's, those guys could be much more valuable next year for you. Yeah. I think as far as the running back goes, I think the clear and obvious player that we were just talking about is JK Dobbins, but you know, he's going at running back 14 in startup. So he's not going to be cheap, but what are the chances besides injury? What are the chances that his price is going to go down? It just doesn't, doesn't seem likely. So you buy him at running back 14 and then next year he's at running back eight or running back six or wherever he is. And you already gained value, but not only that, but you have him on your team and now Mark Ingram's most likely gone. And then you, you, you have an RB one, you know, like, like I said, the only thing that would be a concern would be injury. And we're definitely not banking on that. Um, and then another one that I thought of just for like a cheaper option is Anthony McFarlane and you know, he's going at running back 51. So I'd at least try and go get like a share or two of them if you have multiple leagues, just because like we know there's very, there's a very small chance that they're going to re-sign Connor or it's unlikely that they're going to re-sign Connor. And so who's going to be their starting running back next year? Is it going to be McFarlane, Jalen Samuels, Benny Snell? Like obviously they can draft somebody and, and that's always possible, but we also know that next year's running back class isn't nearly as deep as this one was. So like, unless they're drafting someone in the first or second, like early second round, like there's no guarantee that they're going to be better than McFarland anyway. So I'd definitely be buying them at that running back 51 price. So, and just to emphasize that like the Steelers are probably going to be using early picks or moving up using early picks to get quarterback, right? Like, so they're, they're probably not going to be targeting running back early because there's obviously a very, very clear and big need at quarterback for that team. I was going to ask, what do you think of um, Evans in Tennessee? Do you think he's someone worth trying to get for the 21 year, or do you really think that they're going to bring back Henry? I mean, I really do think that they're going to bring back Henry, uh, but I'm also extremely biased on Henry, so I might not be the best one to, to ask that question to. Uh, that being said, I mean, completely unbiased looking at his – profile I don't see like workhorse back in Darrington Evans so like yeah you can buy him and, and he probably his value probably will go up especially if Henry leaves but I there's no way they're not bringing someone in and we have a decent amount of uh, free agent running backs next year so you know even if they do let go Henry of Henry that doesn't mean that they're not bringing in a Leonard Fournette or I mean there, there's so many running backs that they could be bringing in even like a Jordan Howard like somebody like that. Um, so there's no guarantee that Evans is ever going to be like this workhorse, like stud running back. So what is it about Evans that you don't think makes him a, a workhorse? Like, what is it? Cause I know he's really fast, right? He had a great 
40 speed score, all that. His bench press was average. I think it was like somewhere in the middle. I can't remember. It wasn't anything obviously low or bad, but it wasn't anything crazy high either. So I'm just curious about what it is. Cause I know he's around 200 pounds. I know he's like 5'10", 5'11", or something like that. What, it, what is it that you think doesn't make him a workhorse back? Well, yeah, I mean, BMI is like, it's not like, the end all be all, uh, but for running backs to me, it's, it's pretty important. And when you have a guy that's, you know, in the 27th percentile, you know, only 203 pounds, like that doesn't scream workhorse. Now we do have some players that have, have been around that size that, you know, did end up being okay at it. Uh, but generally they're a little bit shorter. And so they're a little bit stockier. And it's like that they have that weight, but they're not, they're, they're built a little bit differently. Um, and then, you know, like, the other thing is, now he had a decent amount of carries in uh, in college, but it wasn't anything like crazy, and he didn't really hurt, hit like workhorse status until his uh, until his last season, and that was at Appalachian State. So like, if he's not earning work workhorse uh, touches at uh, Appalachian State, like, how's he going to do it in the NFL? Okay, so what you're saying is we need to wait and see what his weight is after the quarantine when he's added the 15, 20 pounds, and then his BMI is <laughs> yeah. up. And he's good to go. Yeah, the BMI will be a little different at that point, but I don't know if you're going to, I don't know if it'll be hidden at 441 anymore, though. <laughs> um, as far as quarterbacks go, uh, I've been talking about Sam Darnold now for at least a month or two. And, uh, you know, I know that Crescent absolutely hates this one, but, you know, he's really one of my favorite quarterbacks to trade for right now. He's going as the quarterback 17 in startups, but he's only 23. Uh, and he's in a much better situation this year than he was last year. He had a much better offensive line. Yes, I know Adam Gase is still there, um, but we've talked about it on previous pods. Like, Gase is either going to figure this, this whole thing out or he's going to be gone. So I'm really not worried about that either way. Um, I think Darnold has shown enough and is young enough to where, like, even if a new coach comes in, a new GM or whatever happens there, they're still going to give him a chance. Now, that doesn't guarantee anything, but they're going to give him a chance, and I believe in his talent. So, you know, basically, like, he might actually break out in 2020 because he's in a much better situation. And obviously, I haven't even brought up Denzel Mims, but, you know, I guess I just did. Um, but I, I could honestly see it getting even better as, like, things start to click in 2021 because it's really a young team. And obviously, you know, next year is a good wide receiver class. And so if they bring in another wide receiver to pair with Mims, then now you have a, a really good situation for Sam Darnold. And then I know this one's going to probably sound like I'm joking, uh, but for wide receivers, I went with uh, Corey Davis. You know, I, like I said, I know it sounds crazy, but the Titans did not pick up his fifth year option. So he will almost certainly be on a different team in 2021. And while that doesn't guarantee anything for him, because we never know what team he's going to go to, um, the, the Titans threw the ball the 30th most times per game, which is not great. That means there's only two teams that threw the ball less than them. And so there's a very good chance he's going to go to a team that throws the ball more often. And in fact, uh, Crescent and I were talking before the, the pod started and like, they were saying like, what if Sammy Watkins leaves or, you know, gets kicked out of uh, Kansas city and now he goes there. Now, obviously that's one hypothetical. I'm just saying like, there's definitely options where he could go into a very good situation and I still believe in this talent. I feel like everything's just gone like completely against him since he started the NFL, whether it be injury or injury to his quarterback 
or, you know, just everything changing midseason and everything else. But at wide receiver 68 prices, I mean, there's almost no way that he's not higher than that unless he just completely dies this year from Corona or something. <laughs> and then as far as tight end goes, uh, honestly, like I don't even, there's not too many tight ends that we haven't covered that I would really say like would help you in 2021. But Adam Trotman, Trotman uh, would be my choice. But there's a lot up in the air for New Orleans in 2021. So I can't even really guarantee that, you know, it'd be that amazing or, or he, that he will be that amazing starting next year. Okay. So our last question comes from Damian Joyce at Gunnar Damage, M-O-J-J 24. And he asked, do you ever feel that sometimes when trading, if you can grab four or five, most likely tier two to four players at cost of a stud, that it can work out for the better of your squad depth? An example being trading Lamar Jackson, Zach Ertz, and Anthony Miller for Kirk Cousins, Cam Akers, Tyler Boyd, Dawson Knox, Henry Ruggs, and a 21 second. So for me, this one, this one really comes down to like the simple answer of it's all team dependent. You know, basically, if you have a team where you desperately need depth, then that might actually make sense for you. And if you have a team where every single player except for your quarterback's position and maybe tight end position are studs, then that, that draft just, or that trade doesn't make sense for you. And so then you're going to want the Lamar Jackson side. Um, but that also being said, like, I don't, we, we always preach, like, don't trade away players for less than they're actually worth. And I think you might be doing that with that trade. Um, especially like, it kind of seems like, you were saying like Zach Ertz is a throw-in in that and Zach Ertz should not be a throw-in. Um, now you didn't specify in this question if it was one or two quarterback uh, or, if one, or if it was one quarterback or, or super flex. So obviously that would make a huge difference in this trade, but, um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe we're looking at it wrong because we always look at it as like a super flex or a two quarterback uh you know, mindset. And so it seems like it's kind of crazy, but you know, in a one quarterback context, like that's probably a pretty good trade. Uh, so it, you know, once again, yes, depth can be important, but it's also, you're not going to win or you're likely not going to win your championship with your depth. You're going to win your championship with your studs. And, you know, when it all boils down to it, like depth can only get you so far. And while it is necessary, it is important. I've also seen teams with zero depth whatsoever win a championship because their team was just that good and they got lucky in the injury department. Uh, so, you know, you probably have as much chance of your team not having an injury as your team having like multiple injuries. And so if that's the case, then, you know, depth can be overrated sometimes. So I'm going to add on a little bit to what John's saying. Um, Cause I'm, I'm kind of mixed. I'm a little more in the middle Another important aspect of this is how many teams are in your league as well, because if it's a 10 team league, you're more likely to want to hold on to those studs. If it's, you know, 12, 14, then it's a little easier to try to grab that depth because there's not, there's a big lack of it in those types of leagues. And in this specific example, I'm probably keeping Lamar Ertz and Anthony Miller, but only because um, the drop to cousins from Lamar and the drop to Knox is not enough for me to move up from Anthony Miller to Akers, Boyd, and the rugs in the second. Only because Akers still has question marks. I know earlier, you know, we talked about 
he's probably going to be the lead back. But there's still a decent chance that Daryl Henderson cuts into his work. Tyler Boyd's going to be a wide receiver too. Like, I don't think he has wide receiver one ceiling, but I think he can be a consistent wide receiver two, wide receiver three type of player. Um, I don't like Knox at all. I know a lot of people love Dawson Knox. I am not a fan. He's what, like maybe the fourth option on that offense. Henry Ruggs, great. Like, I think he's going to be a good player in the NFL, but I don't think he's going to be a good fantasy player. And I don't think he really matches the style that Carr has. And a 21 second right now doesn't mean anything to me at this point. Like, great picks are at their lowest value right now. So I'm really concerned about 21 second. I would keep Lamar Ertz and Anthony Miller at this point. I think there's a few guys. I'm And normally I would pick depth, if I'm being honest, because in a season like this where you're going to have guys missing probably a couple games because of COVID concerns or COVID exposure. Um, there's going to be a whole bunch of random things that pop up in a season like this, if the season even happens. And I'm still questioning if that's going to happen at this point, but a guy I'm consistently, you know, there's two guys that at least in a super flex that I'm willing to move decent amount of depth for. And that's Christian McCaffrey and Patrick Mahomes. Um, and that's because not only do, are they the best at their positions, but they're so much better than the other guys at their positions that I'm willing to sacrifice some of that depth, even if they regress, right? Mahomes regressed and he was still a monster, even with the injury and everything else, he still was really, really good. Right. And that's probably the worst you're going to see from Mahomes and Christian McCaffrey, that dude, he, you can cut his production by 25% and he's still lapping the rest <laughs> of the running backs. Right. So there's certain guys that I think it's absolutely okay to move all your depth for, but then there's other guys where, you know, like when we look at the difference between what the wide receiver six and the wide receiver 13, sometimes it's what, maybe 15 points. Like that's, that's not that big of a difference. I would just try to get one of those other guys instead. So it's really to me about who you're trying to get in those, those types of moves. Um, yeah, the more I'm looking at this, like I almost feel like it has to be a one quarterback uh, trade. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but in a one quarterback context, are you changing your mind about anything? In a one QB context, um, I, I guess it goes back to like what we said about what, what your team looks like. I just, I'm not big on Knox, Rugs at all i have my own i have a i have a share of acres and i'm still questioning whether or not i should be trying to move him while his value is high um i love tyler boyd i you know we just talked about tyler boyd last show i like him a lot but i know like his ceiling is capped he's not going to be a wide receiver one so you know there's a there's a very realistic opportunity out there that anthony miller and tyler boyd are within you know maybe three points per game from each other right? Which isn't that crazy. So then really you're looking at is the drop from Lamar to Cousins and Ertz to Knox worth acres, rugs, and a 21 second. So is it worth two late first and a 21 second? And I, I don't know if that, I don't know if it is. League, in a one quarterback league, I'm almost wondering if the drop from Ertz to Knox is worse than the drop from Jackson to Cousins. You know, yeah. like I'm not a fan of Dawson Knox at all. I know some people are, are you know, kind of hyped on him, but you know, I, I think uh, Carson already said, like at best, he's the fourth option on that team. So 
I, yeah, in a one quarterback context, it does change it, but I still feel like I'm leaning the other way because, you know, you're not getting anyone that's going to like, that's going to help you like drastically help you win that, that team when, win that league. And, um, you know, like I, the reason why I was thinking it has to be one, uh, one quarterback is because if you kind of break it down, Cousins is probably worth like a first. Acres is obviously worth like a mid first. Boyd's probably worth uh, like a late first, early second. And then Knox is worth a third. Ruggs is worth a second. And then a 21 second. So you basically have like two, maybe three firsts and a bunch of seconds and thirds for Lamar Jackson and Zach Ertz. Like that cannot possibly be a two quarterback question in my eye. Yeah. And so to answer like this long winded way, we've talked about this a lot, but you know, I don't think it's worth the worth moving your depth most of the time. In this case, I would gladly give up this depth to get those guys, but that's because you're trying to you if you're going to move your depth, you want to get guys that are at the very top. Don't do it for the guys that are in the middle of that first, you know, first tier type of thing. Like I'm not moving a bunch of my depth to get Mixon. Right? Like I like Joe Mixon, but he's not, you know, going to be a top 3 guy. Like what's going to be the difference between Joe Mixon and I don't know, Josh Jacobs next year. Like how big is the point difference going to be? And is it worth like the, you know, the price that you'll have to pay in your depth? Like that's what you have to start questioning when you're, when you're moving depth for players. Now in this case, I don't really see this as depth because I don't think I don't like a lot of these players. So if I could move all those to get Lamar Ertz and Anthony Miller, I'd probably do it. Exactly. And like you said, obviously it completely changes the the question or the answer. If you're in uh if you're in a 10 man league, an eight man league, a 12 man league or a 16 man league, like that's going to change everything. But we've probably discussed it enough at this point. Uh, that's it for our mailbag for, for this one. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and repost the link for our future mailbag episode. You can send in written questions or voice questions. If you want to be on the, the pod, we'll go ahead and throw you up there and uh, you know, we'll be coming back next week with another pod. Obviously, we have the take it or leave it coming out on Thursday. So check those out. Maybe we get some out. Dawson Knox action this this Thursday. Ooh, I could uh, honestly like I I wait until until I'm inspired every week. And so maybe I'll maybe this will be my inspiration and I'll go ahead and cover Dawson Knox. Although I usually try and go over like a player that like a lot of people are talking about. And I mean, even though like I have heard people liking Dawson Knox, I don't really hear a lot of people talking about him. But uh, that being said, we, uh, like I said, we'll be back on uh, Thursday and then we'll be back on Monday with another one. Until then, we're cashing out.